This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Igeret HaTshuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Let's begin the chapter 1050 on the bottom Chapter 5 Bring the godly soul down into this physical world to invest itself in a human body, this process resulting from divine speech, the utterance, let us make man, derives from the internal aspect, the source of speech. This is the breath of the Supreme One that is indicated in the latter hey of Havaya, the four-letter name of Hashem discussed above. As scripture states concerning the vesture of the soul within the body, he blew into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living creature. And he who blows does so from within him, from his innerness and innermost being. Thus, even the external aspect of the soul that is vested within the body is vested in an inward manner, all bite with the inwardness of speech. The internal aspect of the external level of speech in this regard is unlike the internal aspect of the soul which emanates from the most internal aspect of God. Right. He's describing how the Jewish soul is different from the rest of creation. That the soul comes from the breath while the rest of creation, including the angels, were created through speech. Through, well, through speech. through speech. God's speech. It says in the beginning of the Torah, God spoke and the world came into being. So speech, just like within a person, of course we don't mean in the physical sense, but just like within a person, speech is the most external part of the person. Versus breath is something that comes from within you. That's why you can speak and speak and speak and you don't, you don't get tired. It doesn't exhaust you. But when you breathe... You can't, when you expel your breath, it comes from within, you can't, you know, you, you, you are exhausted because it comes from deep, deep inside. It's your life force. It's your very life force. Also, it says God spoke and it came into being. It's like the king commands and something happens. By Adam, it says God breathed into his nostrils. That was his soul. His soul is God's breath. The breath of life. God's breath. So it's different than the rest of creation. Even the angels. God spoke and the angels came into being. And heaven and earth and stars and sun and, and the whole universe and the whole planet and everything in it. But man, God breathed and his breath is actually comprises man's soul, which is what he described in the last chapter at great length, how man's soul is really a piece of the divine. But here he's saying, we do find in the Torah that God spoke and man came into being. So man was also one of the utterances, also came about through God's speech. Here you finish explaining that man is different, that the soul 
is different than the rest of creation because the soul comes from in the inner, from the breath, from the thought. And that the soul, the breath, comprises the substance of the soul versus the rest of creation comes from something external, which is speech. And God spoke and it came into being. Well, we find in the Torah clearly, God says, let us make man. And so it, The soul of Adam, which is like the collective soul of the entire Jewish people, every Jew that ever lived and every Jew that will ever live. And then when he spoke... And he spoke, he created the whole universe. Angels, stars, people. Everything comes basically essentially from God's speech. But we find that even Adam was also created through speech. as let us make man. And the explanation is that yes, this man's soul, the soul comes from the divine, is a piece of the divine. But the soul has to journey into the body. The soul has to interface and interact with the body. In order for the soul to enter into the body and to become part and parcel of the body, to become part and parcel of this rooted in this physical world, in this very tangible world, it had to go through that God's speech. God's speech brings the soul and sends the soul, enables the soul to enter into the body. This is divine soul, which is a piece of the divine, literally a piece of the divine, that enables the soul to enter into the body and to become completely at home with the body, to animate and to give life to a physical body. And in this world that we live in, with this frame, frame of reference that we live in, this physical world. So in order for the soul to be able to interact in this world and live in this world and live in the body and enclose itself in the body and, and unify with the body, to operate in this dimension, in this physical, material dimension, so God had to speak. Speech is, is external, because in order to, to enable the soul to be able to live in an external world, because the soul is really a piece of the divine essence. You know, the uh, fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe and his brother, his older brother, Rabbi Shalom Dover, Rabbi Zalman Aaron, when they were young boys, they were playing. So what do children play? They play, they, whatever the adults, you know, they play. It depends on the, on the societies you live in. Some kids play cops and robbers. Some kids play cowboys and Indians. They played Rebbe and Chassid because their father was a Rebbe and their grandfather was a Rebbe and their great-grandfather was a Rebbe. So that, that's what they played. They were little boys and they were playing. So the older brother got dressed up as the Rebbe. And it's a long story, but just one point of the story and the, the younger brother, who later on became the Rebbe, entered into like a private audience. You know, Chassid is very serious. You go into the Rebbe, you meet your mentor, your teacher, your, your guide, your, your, your spiritual father, you know. So he enters with great humility, enters into, his, into the Rebbe, his older brother, you know, is playing the Rebbe. And uh, he asked him a question. He says, what is a Jew? Rebbe closed his eyes and he says, a Jew is a piece of fire. 
a chunk of fire, a piece of fire. He has the divine essence. He has a piece of the divine inside of him. He's a piece of fire. So his brother asked, immediately, his brother touched his brother, touched the Rebbe. The Chassid, who was, the younger brother was playing the Chassid, touched his older brother playing the Rebbe. So he says, so if a Jew is fire, why didn't I just get burnt? I just touched fire. So his brother was playing Rebbe, he smiled, he says, what happens when fire touches fire? What happened when fire touches fire? Fire touches fire. It doesn't burn. So the soul is a piece of fire. But how do you keep that fire in this world, this flame in this world, grounded, rooted in this world, to live and operate in this physical, material dimension? So therefore God said, let us make man. This sends the soul on its journey. This powers, empowers the soul in the opposite, to go down, to descend, to come into this world, without changing its essence. Its essence, it retains its divine essence. But nevertheless, it enables it to come into this world. He says that even this level of speech, which is external, is also different than the speech and the utterances that brought about the rest of creation, including the angels. Including Including the angels, which also came about through God's speech. The speech that God created? Yes, yes. God created the angels and created the spiritual realms. was different than the speech with which God created uh, Adam. Why? What's unique about Adam? Because within speech itself, you have the external level of speech, and you have the internal level of speech. What's the external level of speech? The letters, as they are differentiated. The different sounds of the letters come from different movements. If you put your lips together, you get a bass. You have five different categories of letters, depending on the different movements of your lips, of your tongue. So that's the external part of the letter, the shape of the letter the final form, the form of the letter. But how about the substance of the letter? What's the substance of the letter? All letters have the same substance. The breath. Ha! That's why the hay is the closest to the ha. That's pure breath. Because the breath is the substance behind all the letters. It's the ear, the breath. And then as the breath passes through the throat and the tongue and the lips and the different movements. That's how you get the shape of the, the form of the letter. But the substance of the letter, they all share the same substance. That's, the, that's what we call the inner part of the letter. The inner part of the letter is the substance, is the ha, is the breath. The form, the shape, the external, the substance, the finalized form that differentiates one from the other, that's the external. So all the rest of creation are rooted in the external, in the expression of the words, the letters, the shape, versus the the utterance to create man is rooted with the substance of the letters, with the breath that brings about the letters. In other words, everything in this world 
is rigid. Is very, is like set in concrete. Nature is rigid, it's set in concrete. Everything in this world is set in concrete. And therefore there can't really be a genuine change. Because it's really set in form and shaped. And you can't escape it. Because everything that exists is a result of these words and letters that were already formed and shaped. But then, if you go to the inner, the substance of the letter, when it's still unformed, undefined, then there could be movement, there could be change. It's not rigid. It's not set in stone. It's like you have a teacher and a student. You have a student who can spit back, who can spit out and repeat exactly what the teacher said. But not more. He can only repeat exactly what he heard. Down to the last letter. Because he got the external part of the teaching. The ideas was formulated and shaped and formed. There's no inner creativity. Versus a student who has that inner creativity, who goes deeper and is able to go to the substance that's behind the words. If you really understand the substance that's behind the words, and you can come up with different words. A person who truly masters the subject, if you truly grasp the concept and grasp the idea, then you can say it back in your own words. A real teacher wants to know, does the student really understand what I'm talking about? Or is he just repeating? He could be a perfect student and he's repeating everything I say and he can answer all the questions on the test. But you're just repeating. There's no, there's no genuine understanding. If the student genuinely understands the subject matter, then say it in your own words. And you can use entirely different words to convey the same concept. Because that's the question, do you really understand what's behind the words? And then you can, you can change and you can come up from a different angle and say it this way, that way. Or, no, you're lost. If you, if, you, if you don't have the exact words, the exact formula, as it was formulated, you're lost. So that's very external. You know, it's like when, we, when you're plugged in, when you're connected, well, you're not connected. When you're not connected, you just don't see it. It doesn't bother you, but you don't see it. When you're connected, when you're rooted and connected, you see things a little deeper. And therefore, that's why it says that the Jewish people are compared to the moon. To the moon, yeah, the moon, versus the sun. All the nations of the world compared to the sun, and the Jews compared to the moon. That's why the non-Jewish calendar is basically a solar calendar. The Jewish calendar is basically a lunar calendar. And that's where we make a blessing over the rebirth of the moon every month. Because the Jews are like the moon. The moon is dynamic. It waxes and it wanes. Constant flux, constant change. Versus the sun is very rigid. It never changes. Set. It's predictable, it's reliable, it's dependable, it's there. While the Jew undergoes constant change, just like the moon. There's miracles, then there's a destruction, 
there's a Holocaust, and there's a Six-Day War, there, there, there's an exodus from Egypt, and there's a, a destruction of the Temple, there's exile, there's redemption, there's movement, there's change, there's... It's dynamic. When you look at the world very superficially, the world is very rigid, very predictable, very rigid. Heaven is also very predictable. There are no news, newspapers in heaven. Pretty, pretty, no surprises there. The world is set. Everything has its rules. Everything has its laws. Whether it's psychological law, whether it's even mystical law. Kabbalistic law, the law of the universe, and laws of man, and laws... Everything has rules and laws, and is set, and has a logic, and has... What we call Seder Stalshlus. This is the world, the framework of the world. It has its set parameters, it's rigid, and you can't escape it. It's a glass ceiling, you can't escape it. We are the product of God's words and letters. Words and letters that are shaped and defined and, and formed, and, and there's no escaping it. You can connect to your, connect and realize that you're a product of God's words and letters. And you'll be a religious person, and a mystical person, and a spiritual person, and lead a meaningful life and a wholesome life. But that's our glass ceiling. God's words and letters. That's our frame of reference. And we can't escape that frame of reference. But the Jew is rooted in the breath, in the inner in the substance, before the letters are shaped and formed and defined. The same substance is in this letter, is in that letter, and that's where there could be movement, there could be change. It's dynamic. You connect to something deeper. And that's why the greatest revolutionaries were Jews. Three Jews changed the whole 20th century. Monotheism changed the whole world. The greatest revolution of all. Because even the external, even when the soul enters into the body and interfaces and is rooted in this material reality, But nevertheless, the intellect is rooted and is able to go deeper. And therefore, the Jew is able to question the very assumptions that everyone else takes for, takes for granted. The very assumptions of existence. Everyone takes existence for granted. No one questions existence. Everyone takes our, my existence as solid, as the center of the universe. No one questions their own, my ego, myself, my I. I'm more certain of my I than I am of anything else. That's my starting point. That's the, the center of my universe. Even if intellectually you may understand that is, but it's like Einstein coming 
to you and proving to you that right now the sun is shining. I'm sorry, with all due respect to Einstein, and it can be a thousand Einsteins, and they can prove it to me with irrefutable logic that right now the sun is shining. I could be a simple person, unlettered, uneducated. I'm looking out the window and I'm saying, Mr. Einstein, you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) because I'm looking and it's dark. So you can come with all the proofs in the world and all the logic in the world and all the Hasidus in the world explaining that there's no other reality but God and nothing exists but God. Seven billion people in the world will look at you and say, you know, it's very nice, but I'm sorry. (laughs) It's dark outside. I don't see any sun. I don't know what you're talking about. It, It makes sense, but, you know, it doesn't mean anything because what I see, I'm so certain. I'm so certain of my own existence. I'm so certain of my ego, I'm so certain of my eye, that you can't even question it. Not seriously. Not emotionally, psychologically, in a real sense. It's an abstract concept. For a Jew, this is an earth-shattering concept. This is the center of our being. That there is no I, there is no ego. To question the very assumption of existence, to question the very assumption of I. That's why Einstein was able to question the very assumptions of time and space that everyone took for granted for thousands of years. Because a Jew is rooted in the breath, in the inner, in the substance that's deeper, that goes beyond the formula and what's formulated and rigid and set in stone. It's dynamic, it's vibrant, it's alive, it's creative. Not only the soul of the Jew. That the soul of the Jew is rooted and is the peace of the divine essence, the godly soul. That we know. Because it's God's breath. But here he's saying even more than that. He's saying, it says in the verse, that God blew into his nostrils and man became a living creature. In other words, the Torah is not just talking about the root and the source of the soul, that there is a divine spark and a divine root in in the Jewish soul, which is rooted in the divine. He's talking about, and man became a living creature. That even as man is a living creature, and is in this world, and is very human, and very down to earth, and has a very logical mind, and thinks logically, and thinks like any other human being. But even in this sense, even the speech, even man's coming into this world is also connected to the God's breath. Because it's connected to the inner part of the speech. And that's why even the mind of a Jew thinks a little differently thinks about can grasp and could relate to the concept of godliness there is no ego there is no I that I doesn't exist and a Jew gets excited by this idea this motivates us this inspires us this moves us to do good to live a godly life to lead a, lead a good life. That the human logic and the human intellect could perceive and grasp the idea that there is no ego. There is no I. There is no, what? There is no ego. 
and there is no I. All there is is God. There is no other reality but God. This is a concept that's so foreign from the human mind, especially from the Western mind. How did all the other human beings get created? They're created by God. But they're created for a divine purpose and a divine... For, for everyone has a divine mission. But th- there's no reality on its own. The only reality that we have is because every human being, the only reality that we have is because God created us for a reason. To fulfill a divine purpose. But other than that, we have no inherent reality. Our only inherent reality is that we're part of God's plan. And we're part of God's dream and God's vision. There is no other reality. That's why we have the Torah that teaches us what is the divine mission of everything that exists in this world. Everything that exists in this world is here for a reason and fulfills a divine mission and divine plan. Part of, it's part of the divine mission, and, an indispensable part of the divine mission and the divine plan. That's what the Torah is about. That's what the Torah is about. Torah is the blueprint for all of reality. Torah is the God's vision for this world. And that's why He created the world. And that's why He created everything that exists in this world. And the Torah illuminates for us and teaches us what is the purpose of everything that exists in this world. All seven billion people, every blade of grass, everything in this world has a reason, has a purpose. A divine purpose. But this whole way of thinking is so counterintuitive to seven billion people. What do you mean I don't exist? What do you mean there is no ego? What do you mean there is no I? The whole logic is based on how brilliant I am. And if you, have doubt, if you have any doubts how brilliant I am, I'll be the first to tell you. I have to be honest. I'm, I'm a logical person. I know how smart I am and I know how brilliant I am. What do you mean there is no I? It, it, it's like telling me that the sun is shining. I, I'm sorry. I, it goes contrary to my experience. My experience, I experience the ego, such a powerful experience. That the human logic and the human mind cannot wrap the mind around the concept that I don't exist. That there is no ego, there is no I. There's nothing but God. But the Jewish mind, and the Jewish ego, and the Jewish logic is not only able to understand this concept, but this becomes the cornerstone of our whole being. And our whole being is all about godliness. Is all about fulfilling the divine purpose 24 7. There is no other reality. And we look at everything in this world, including all 7 billion non Jews. What is the divine purpose? They have a unique divine mission, a unique divine purpose, why God created. It, it's, it's, it's a counterintuitive way of thinking, it's completely, entirely revolutionary. But this comes from the inner substance. When you're rooted and connected to the inner substance, to the breath, the breath, the substance of the speech, then you're not rigid and you're not limited. And then you're able to connect with the inner dynamics and therefore you're able to change. And that's why the Jew is empowered with the ability to change this world. To transform this world into a Torah world, into a godly world. The entire world. So 
So because we're so, paradoxically, we're so rooted, we're so down-to-earth, the Jewish people are so down-to-earth, are so rooted. We've never left the front pages of history. We're so human. And despite all the suffering that we had, we celebrate life. We love life. We celebrate life. In this world. You would think of all the people in the world, we would all be yearning for the, the afterlife. No. We celebrate life in the here and now. We celebrate life. We love life. Because we're so optimistic and we're so positive and we're so rooted in the here and now. And therefore we have the ability to transform the world from within. To transform this world and turn this world into a godly world. Is that the goal, the job? That's the goal. That's the goal of the Jew. To be a positive influence, to be a light unto the nations, to be a nation of prophets. It's like the conscience of the world. And the Jew has such an influence. Till today, the only thing you get the UN to agree on is when it comes to Israel, the Jew of the world. (laughs) You can't be indifferent to the Jew. You hate, you love. You can't be indifferent. Because that is the Jew, is the conscience, is the heart, is the conscience. Because that is our divine mission. How come the Jews didn't increase in amount? Well, between Holocaust and pogroms and and order de fez and Cossacks and exiles and assimilation and inquisitions, you're right. By natural numbers, the Jews are from the one of the most ancient people in the world. We should have been today a billion. There should have been a billion Jews, but because of all the tsarists that we had and all the assimilation, that our numbers... But the Torah always told us that you will be the smallest of all the nations. Our strength is not in our numbers. That's why all the fear mongers are constantly warning Israel, you know, Israel uh, warning us that the, demographically we're a minority and we have to surrender and we have to uh, show weakness because we're so small and we're so tiny... You don't frighten us with numbers. We, we're always the tiniest, and we always will be the tiniest. That's not our strength. The Jew is not about numbers. It started with one Jew, Abraham and Sarah. Don't frighten us with numbers. We know that there's only a handful of Jews versus billion Muslims, two billion Muslims. That's not, that's not, you can't frighten us with numbers. That's not what we're about. We're not a number game. One idea is more mighty and more powerful than all the numbers in the world. One idea has conquered the whole world. It's not about numbers. But if a Jew knows his divine mission, here he's trying to explain, in order for a Jew to do teshuva, in order for a Jew to return, you have to understand who you are. And you have to understand it very thoroughly and clear, be clear and clearly. Because only then could you start to heal. You can't start to heal if you're in delusion, if you're in illusion about yourself, delusional about yourself. You have to know exactly who you are, what you're all about, what makes you tick. 
what inspires you, what excites you, what your being is all about. And there's no escaping it. The being of the Jew is godly. Not only deep down at the root, at the source, in heaven, the pintalayid that's buried and submerged somewhere deep, deep, deep down. Even externally, even the way your constitution, the way your human mind is constituted, the way you're constituted, you think differently. Because you're rooted in the breath, in the inner, in the substance. And that's why we challenge or we question all the assumptions. And that's why you're very, very revolutionary. And dynamic and vibrant. And so alive. Those who study the Tanya understand this. The whole purpose of the book was to publicize these ideas. To take it to the next level. The first Lubavitcher Rebbe published this book, the Tanya, to publicize these concepts. Because these concepts are so powerful, so revolutionary. And the Rebbe took this and put it on ear, on radio. Started a radio, one of his Hasidim started a radio show and this book is basically from the radio show, transcripts of the radio show that was heard in New York. And the Rebbe used to, the Lubavitcher Rebbe used to edit it and, and following along the same path, that's why we put it on the, on, the web, on the web, which instead of just reaching New York City, reaches the whole world. And on cable, and etc., etc. And it's just the beginning, you know, we're just starting, just a warm-up. <laughs> Because now it's getting more and more powerful, more and more people are plugged in, more and more people are connected, and it's getting easier and easier. Yeah. Also, in, Ju- in Judaism, everything has to be the best. Yeah, Quality, you know, because th- this, this is the best. Yeah. This is not second class, third rate. This is, this is not off of Broadway. This is, uh, <laughs> this is first class. This is Broadway. This is the, this is the big show. This is the big show. This is it. <laughs> So it has to be in the highest level. In other words, if you take this seriously, then it has to be in the highest level. And it has to be presented also in the highest level. Can't, uh... Basically, what the Tanya, and the reason why the Chabad houses have such an appeal to so many people, is because the, the, the Tanya respects the audience. It believes in the audience. And it believes in the material. So you're not, you don't have to dumb down the material. It's so disrespectful when you dumb down. Because what you're saying basically is, you know, this is not for you. You can't handle it. Let me give you some dumbed down, childish version of this. And that's what many people do. Because they don't have confidence in the audience and they don't have confidence in the material. What the Rebbe did is, the Rebbe says, I have confidence in the audience. I have confidence in every single Jew in the world, all 12 million. And I have confidence, or 14 million, and I have confidence in the material. And you know, people know when you are treating them with respect, and you're sharing with them the best, 
the deepest, the choicest, what motivates you, what excites you. Because then it's genuine, then it's real. Versus if you tell someone, you can't handle this, let me give you some dumbed-down version. You're disrespecting your audience. You know? And we have too much respect for the audience to, to dumb it down. It has to be the highest level. And you have to give them the, the deepest, the best. And that's what people respond to. People always underestimate people. It's amazing. They always underestimate. And you see it across the board. Look, look, look at most, most movies, what passes from movies. It's so, I mean, 95% of it is so dumb. It's so, you know, it's, it's so disrespectful. I mean, you really think that everyone in this, this but you have no confidence. And, and it's so wrong. It's such a wrong approach. It's not what people want. Show them respect. Give them something genuine. Give them something real, something, and you see how they respond. And the response is amazing. I have to say the response to the website, to the cable show, to the, to the Hasidus. Like you asked, is anyone exposed to this? When people are exposed to it, the response is so powerful. All, all across the board, all over the world. This, this is what people are looking for. This is what people are hungering for. Don't talk down and don't, 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 don't dumb it down. Just tell, tell the emiss, tell the truth, tell it. With its, all its depth and all its beauty and all its... And people can handle it. People can deal with it. People can deal with the truth. You can't deal with lies and syrup and artificial and... You know, people, people are hungering for genuineness. As false as the world has become, the more the world has become so false, the more people are hungering for something deep genuine, profound. And it's amazing. And we were gifted. The Jewish people were gifted. God gave us the most genuine thing on earth. <laughs> the Torah. <laughs> the divine. This is it. This is this. The Tanya. You know, if we don't go to town with this, then well, what are we going to go to town with? <laughs> this is it. This is... This is uh... So when you say God gave us the Torah... Yes, the Tanya, which is like the crown jewels of the Torah, which articulates the Torah in the deepest way, in the most profound way. And I mean, many Jews can learn the story of Genesis, but here when you learn the story of Genesis, each word, what it means that God breathed into his nostrils, and even when he spoke, and this is the, the substance of speech, the, 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 the inner part of speech, you know, without the Tanya, you just read it and it means nothing. God breathed, God spoke. It, it, it means absolutely nothing. When you read this, you get excited. You understand what? He's talking about me, he's talking about reality, he's talking about this changes your whole life, this changes how you look at things, what it really means. So these are the crown jewels articulating the deepest parts of the Torah. So we were fortunate. We are the midgets, the spiritual midgets in comparison to our ancestors who were like spiritual giants. You know, the prophets and the 
great Talmudic rabbis. And, but we were fortunate that God revealed to us the crown jewels, his crown jewels. He opened up the treasure and gave us his crown jewels. And he publicized this and published it and publicized it. I mean, if, if we don't go to town with this, then, you know, then we're, in, we're in the wrong business. <laughs> on, on Shabbos and on the holidays, when the Torah is read, yes. it is not this that is read. No, it's the it five books of the Torah. Right. So, but what we do here, we do here every Shabbat, is between each reading... We try to glean like a little uh, something from the next reading that relates from this. Yeah, so it comes alive. Otherwise, you just read, and again, it's very boring, and you sit for an hour, and you don't understand what's going on, and, and sometimes you read things that you don't relate to it, the building of the tabernacle, and the measurements, and what does it mean, and who cares, and what, why is it relevant, and what's it so, why are we waking up at an unearthly hour on a Saturday morning to read about you know, something that happened thousands of years ago in the desert. But when you study with, with the Tanya, with the Hasidus, suddenly it comes alive. Suddenly, every word in the Torah... It's like, it's home. It's talking to me. It's alive. This is what the Rebbe did. The Rebbe. This is what all the Rebbe's did, but especially the Rebbe, articulated the Torah in a way that relates to us. We can connect with it. And it comes alive. So, you know, we're so fortunate that we have this. For us to hoard it ourselves, in this information age, when there's such a hunger out there for, for, for something real, we don't, have, we, have the, we don't have the right, we have the responsibility and the tremendous privilege to be able to communicate and convey and to teach and to inspire and be inspired and, and uh, light a fire and create a grassroots revolution. Because this revolution will only come from the bottom up. You touch one person at a time and one good deed at a time and, and that person touches their friend and that person touches their friend. And that's what the Chabad houses really are. 5,000 Chabad houses like this. The Rebbe started the grassroots revolution from the bottom up. One Jew at a time, one mitzvah at a time. And, and, but then it starts spreading exponentially. And uh, today, with the information age, the world is ready, ready to catch on fire. It's really up to us to really publicize it and communicate it and, in a way that people could relate to it and connect with it. And, and uh, that's really the best that we can do. So we'll continue next week. Um, this was the opening line of the, of the fifth chapter. Now you know why it's taking so long. <laughs> This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.